Christmas. North-South Connection Podcast Network, as always, welcome into the multiverse of fabulousness. I'm Johnny C., and uh, I'm going to be your host for the following procedure. I want to thank everybody for coming back to visit with me. Uh, We've been having some crazy times lately with all sorts of wild shenanigans afoot. Uh, You know, doing some creative stuff, but definitely, uh, you know, throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what what hits, what's fun, and what have you. And uh, I wanted to, because, you know, that stuff's easy for me to do, okay? I wanted to take a, you know, slam on, not slam on the brake for a second, but sort of take a couple steps backwards and uh, return to the first project that we did here on our very first episode. So I want to go with the type of style of rebooking uh, a pay-per-view for everybody. In our first episode, we sort of altered reality to make it so... WCW was able to put on the WrestleMania 6 show, and I filled their card with what I thought were, or what I tried to make be, uh, matches of equal or greater value uh, in terms of, you know, what they add to, you know, the way a card feels, what it brings to the forefront in terms of entertainment value. For example, ah, I guess I can just catch out the bag, spoiler on an old ass episode, but hey, maybe it'll pique your interest and you'll want to traverse back towards our first episode you know for the ultimate challenge we did arn anderson and rick flair champion versus champion title for title with arn being the tv champion and flair being the world champion now you know off the top yes it's fairly obvious that that's not an ultimate challenge like hulk hogan versus the ultimate warrior title for title because those are two very very large personalities yes also large athletes but to to keep it you know keep a serious face on it i mean they are very much uh they they grab a lot of their attention grabbers they draw box office you know it seems kind of like having if you were going to compare it to a movie around the time it's like um an arnold schwarzenegger movie is coming out this week the next week is a sylvester stallone movie well gosh what if they did one together so you can't argue with it in the professional wrestling landscape. Those guys uh, being Hogan and Warrior were not equivalent to that. But what the spin that I had on the WCW Ultimate Challenge was in vain with what I think WCW was offering at the time. And that is, uh, you know, more uh, more realistic storylines, I suppose. Now someone's going to tweet me and talk about like Big Josh and the Bears. But, you know, come, at this point in time in 1990, there's still a... And I don't mean this disparagingly, but I think most people can agree they're kind of still like a southern wrestling company. And an Arn Flair program would be good for work, but also it would be a story that would be driven by actual like human emotion and not, Who are the Hulk Hogan? <laughs> I won't do any more of that stuff. I'll try to keep it to a minimum. But how can you talk about the Warrior and not do an Ultimate Warrior impression? So... The project that I've picked for myself this evening is one that I have been tossing around in my brain, and the stars decided to align and put me in a position uh, where I can bring it to you. So what I am recording right now is what I'm calling like the pre-game show or the pre-project show, whatever you want to call it. I have not run through the exercise yet, but I have set out all the parameters for the exercise and already drawn some initial conclusions about the direction that I want to take. All right. I won't get into specifics here about matches. I'll run down the entire match card when I do like the full presentation. But as it stands right now, here is what we're going to try to put onto the books. 
the uh, you know as I did in the first one or our first episode when I did our first rebooking, I like to lay out ground rules uh, because it's really easy to sit here and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to rebook WrestleMania. It's going to be uh, Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin, and that's an easy like yeah, of course that's the best thing ever. No, come on guys, that's that's too easy. That's not really like a project. That's just you know whatever doing whatever. It's like a kid playing with his toys. You know, they all of a sudden they're playing GI Joes, and the next thing you know they're bosom buddies sneaking into the the ladies sorority house which is something the gi joes would probably do now that i think about it but okay so here are the rules i'm going to have the same number or i'm required to have the same number of matches that actually did i even tell you what i was doing did i tell you what event it was gosh guys add is a hell of a thing we're redoing wrestlemania 16 or wrestlemania 2000 as it was known in the year it's always bugged me um, this is a, a sort of a side note. I, I'm a huge stickler for the Roman numerals appearing with the WrestleMania logos. The modern logos drive me bonkers, and I will put this out there into the world. I argue that not having um, the numbers associated with the promotion uh, makes it more difficult to remember what the main events are. Now, I can still kind of track it in my head if I start with Daniel Bryan and Orton and Batista, but I really have to stop and think where if you say, what's the main event of WrestleMania 19? Well, I know it's Brock and Kurt, I, you know, just because it's WrestleMania 19. You know, uh, the buildup to the Becky Lynch, Charlotte, Ronda was promoted as, you know, in three weeks, Becky, Charlotte and Ronda are going to fight at WrestleMania. I know it's at WrestleMania 35 because I really was drawn into that a lot, but you probably have to stop and think for a second. Oh, that was WrestleMania 35. So that's my end of the rant there. So I wish I could go back and recall it WrestleMania 16, but I'm sticking to. Well, that's that's. We'll get onto that. But you know, I might lovingly call it WrestleMania 16, but unfortunately, it's WrestleMania 2000. And what bugs me is that they've never retconned the logo. I think that's how that whole thing started, because it's it would be very easy to go back and like throw in the XVI underneath where it says WrestleMania 2000 for historical purposes, but. I think us on the internet are the only ones that care about that. It's kind of sad. Kind of puts me in my place, I suppose. Here are the rules. Same number of matches, okay? I've got to match the number of matches. Well, I guess that's pretty self-explanatory now that I said it out loud. All the titles will have to be defended, all right? It's pretty obvious for WrestleMania that's something you want to have, but I feel like I can't put myself in a situation where I would sacrifice the championships for gimmick matches or something of that nature, all right? Now, there are a couple of, you know, caveats that have to be included in the rules. You cannot deny, for better or worse, the McMahon in every corner concept may or may not have worked for you, but the idea that the McMahons feature heavily on the program was very much, I would argue, a necessity of the time. We have to remember it was the year 2000, and the McMahon family were some of the hottest characters you could say they were getting a little stale at this time stephanie though had not been around as a major character very long uh shane had been gone for a little bit if i'm not mistaken and vince was more interesting because he seemed to be leaning face as well so the mcmahons have to be included and they must have prominent positions now i know that is not something that's easily defined, but I already have in mind what I want to do. So we'll, we'll get to that. And here's the big one. This is the huge one. No 
multi-person matches. All right, now we'll, we'll cover that in greater detail here in just a second. Now, once I laid myself out the rules, I started jotting down some notes. And uh, everything that came to my mind at first is what I'm calling the fun stuff that I realized about this project. And then once I had a moment to really sit and think about it and all those initial feelings got out, I started to think about what the real implications of this project would be. And then I have those I want to share with you. So the fun stuff, the first stuff that came to my mind was that no one really loves WrestleMania 16. So it seems fun to me to try to fix it. I've never heard of WrestleMania 16 being anyone's favorite WrestleMania. I know there are certain events that occur there that remain favorite xyz but uh well we'll talk about that uh my biggest or excuse me the biggest complaint around wrestlemania 16 does seem to be the structuring of the matches i believe the only singles match is the cat versus terry and there's a lot of shenanigans and sports entertainment surrounding that and it's a year 2000 women's match with which you know uh is not their fault but the way the booking was uh it wasn't going to be like an actual match um, another fun thing that came to my head was that Mick Foley's ending has never really sat well with me. I think most of us probably have a negative feeling towards the, the lackluster way that it, it happens in a sense that he gets retired in the February pay-per-view because they needed something to do because of the creative direction, creative direction that they had chosen for WrestleMania. Um, or had not chosen, I, I suppose one could argue if some of the rumors are true. And then Foley gets brought back at a last second. You know, he's not, I think he said this, so I'm not trying to, to mock the guy. He's not even in the shape that he was a month ago because in his head, he was retired. I'm glad he got the payday and what have you. But I think that we are going to alter, well, we'll talk about that at the end. So, because it would really be easy to be like, oh, well, um, if you're changing the main event, then Foley is just gone because he gets retired in February. Well, we'll talk about that. It's an opportunity to create some more work rate interesting matches, which is, I think, fun to go back. And I think that's one of the reasons we go back and do stuff like this is we want to be more entertained by the spectacle of it. And just the last one that I threw out there, creating an alternate history is always fun for me. It's something that I enjoy. Now, here's the real stuff. The very first real item, and it's probably what is in most of your heads, I lose the ladder match. Simple as that. At least the way that we know it, because no multi-person matches applies. No, you know, the tag team titles will be defended, but no multi-team matches. So I could do the ladder match still, but it wouldn't be the same three teams, and it can't be a different three teams. Obviously, uh, it has to be a singles, quote unquote, tag team match. So two teams only. Uh, the atmosphere and the look of this show. Uh, there's nothing I can do about that. So regardless of if you're entertained or enthralled by the matches that I put together, I feel like the overall production value of the show was always at a loss. Uh, another real item that came to my head was the main event seems on paper or perhaps at first glance a very easy fix. A fix that might be too easy and honestly I feel not as entertaining. So I'm struggling with that. Well, I'm struggling with it, but that's something I, you know, came to my head is that I think most people... If I said, if I looked, if I looked at them and said, "Hey, how do you fix WrestleMania 16?" They say, "Oh, that's simple. You just do blank versus blank for the title instead of the four-way." Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Along with the ladder match, you know, you lose a lot. You're going to lose a lot of paydays. Now, what that means in terms of this project is you you may lose 
some competitors. You may not have the space to get everybody on the card, which means you're going to have to be making some hard cuts and some difficult decisions. You know, does Eddie make it, you know, for example? Uh, I, I don't know. And he's the first person that pops into my head, but it's it's just kind of like... Um, or was that even on the card? But you know, like, which which radicals make it? Which radicals don't? Because you can't do a you know six person tag team match with uh, two radicals on one side and one on the other, and then you know you just can't do it because these multi person matches are getting thrown out. No triple threats. No fatal four ways. No fantastic five ways or sizzling six ways. Um, also, you know, I, I am going to rewrite history. But I'm going to rewrite history by changing the creative direction of the company. I'm not going to change history itself. And the best examples I could think of were Austin still injured, Taker still injured, and I'm not going to do something silly like say that Hulk Hogan decided to quit WCW and bought out his contract and showed up for the main event or some nonsense like that. Um, which which can be fun, but at the same time, you know, this is a project that's trying to get us to a better creative direction not changing history um you know the last thing i'll leave you with before i kick over to the actual card and uh, what i came up with for the project i'm telling you that uh, right now my plan you know you know when when i sat down and initially was like okay so i need to you know it's easier for me to start at the top i don't know what my opener is going to be but i need to know where i finish and then work around it um i've got a double main event structure in my mind uh, one for the title with two McMahons involved and one with a pretty massive stipulation with two McMahons involved. Um, and because of what they are, both are going to kind of be sports entertainment heavy. Um, you know, I'm not I haven't decided to create a creative direction that would result in a five star wrestling classic in terms of like, uh, you know, your work rate. I don't know. Well, I mean, one could certainly be something like that. And I don't know the the other I think is a bit more sports entertainment based, but um, we'll see if that's a direction I stick with. But this is why it's fun to do like a pre and post because after you dig into the weeds, you say, what, well, I have to put my foot in my mouth or do I have to give up on my initial creative direction? So, all right, with that in mind, uh, to, keep the, to keep the heart of the show in here, I'm going to call this Earth 16. So when you are mapping out the Johnny C. Multiverse someday for the Wikipedia article, uh, swap this one down next to earth 16 i'll see you on the other side for the actual card all right everybody welcome to earth 16 apparently the home of a much different but hopefully greater wrestlemania 2000 card all right, so now that I have completed my end of the project, I am ready to present it to the masses for their approval or disapproval. Hopefully approval, but we'll see where we go. So what I've done is put together the card. And just to follow up on what I talked about in our pregame show, I was able to pretty much stick to my guns creatively with the ideas that were presented to me when I, I first started the project. So that's a fun thing to report back. The second item is just as a side note, this was a lot more difficult than I initially intended because in the year 2000, I think for, from reevaluating card, this is sort of the conclusion that I came to about why WrestleMania 2000 is slash was the way that it is slash was, I guess. Um, so 
they were in a position where they had a ridiculously deep talent roster, but it's also kind of shallow when it comes to who is selling the tickets, I think. And it's a little bit different than it is now where it pretty much works on autopilot and the brand, in quotation marks, sells itself. So I understand why they felt obligated to sort of do a multi-person clusterfuck. It felt like getting all this talent onto the card, while I know they like to do for uh, pay purposes, which I suppose I can get behind because everybody should get paid. But at the same time, it waters down the speciality of the matches. And if you don't have a sizzly gimmick to sell the match, how does it really stand out from the rest of the crowd? And that's something that I had to deal with myself. So what I did was... I put together the card, and as I introduce it to you, I'm going to present them in the structure that they would be presented on the card. So we're going to start with the opener and work our way all the way to the main events, plural. Hopefully the structure matches with something that would feel appropriate. I've tried to place them based on, you know, things like crowd cooldown, making sure that the big, you know, crazy gimmicks aren't super close to one another. I've done the best that I can. If you disagree with me, whether the matches that I've selected, the structure, the somewhat, you know, some of these matches, I will go into the storyline leading up to it. Not all of them. I might paint some broad strokes. The ones that really, really, really alter the the direction creatively that the company went in, I will try to lay out the roadmap for because I think that just makes it more fun to reveal what the match is itself by giving you the hype and the buildup. Uh, speaking of hype, every WrestleMania has to start with an opener that gets the crowd hyped. It needs to be either, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the what the true philosophy is in terms of what it has to be or doesn't have to be. I suppose you could say it's going to be a fantastic work rate match like Brett and Owen. But you can't argue against that match not having an awesome storyline because it truly did. So what was it that really got the crowd energized? Was it work rate? Was it story? Or was it a perfect marriage of the two? I don't know. This match that I've selected is what I'm calling Mask versus DX. And it is a surrender match where the match can only be won when your opponent surrenders to the other. It is Kane with Paul Bearer versus X-Pac with Tori and Pete Rose. And here's how we're going to discuss this. We're going to start with the cons. All right. I tried to be as honest and open as I could with cons, you know, because it's, you know, people say the hardest, one of the hardest things you can do is critique yourself. Yeah, I'll go for it. I'll try to go all in on it. And then the pros and then what I think the result of this match would be. So let's start with the cons. First one is kind of obvious, probably why I wrote it down first. Do we really need another match with these two? I went back through Wikipedia and history of WWE and stuff like that and looked at pay-per-view cards and Raws and stuff. And and these two had a lot of interaction and we're definitely on the back end of this being a quote-unquote hot feud. And I'm aware of that which is why it's got some sizzle surrounding it, which I'll get into. Another con, the reformation of DX in late 99 slash early 2000 never exactly, no pun intended, set the world on fire. It's 
I don't know. To me, anyway, I, it's not like I've gone back re-recently and watched that stuff. I'm excited to hear what Wrestling Above Replacement will be telling me in the oncoming weeks, which is a show that drops, I believe, every other Friday. Um, right now, they're doing the 99 season. Definitely check it out, especially if this gets you hot. I'm not trying to steal their thunder by rebooking WrestleMania 2000 or anything like that. Hopefully, it, it pairs nicely where these two episodes will come out, uh, you know, sort of in tandem with one another. And uh, it... It, it, reduced, it results in some brand synergy, as my good buddy Vince McMahon would say. Another con, would this match really, really feel mania-worthy because it is a repeat? It definitely feels like that modern version that WWE has of wrestling, whereas every feud, in quotation marks, is now just a series of wrestling encounters on their various programs and platforms. And I don't want this to feel like that because the modern product doesn't engage me from that standpoint. Now, let's take a look at some of the pros. Regardless of the matches that have already taken place, these two definitely had a very compelling story that deserves a proper payoff. Um, you know, tag team partners that separate or what have you is, you know, tried and true. You know, I don't think the model and Tito Santana ever actually had a hard finish on their issues. Hell, <laughs> You, if you were to tell me that the model and Tito Santana were going to have some sort of interaction on a WWE pay-per-view type show, maybe not like even like a match, but a face-off or some sort of, I don't know, I would be interested in seeing it. And I don't mean that as a gag. What I mean is that these, you know, partners that break up and feud and have like a long-standing built-in history is always something fun to fall back on because there's a story that's there in our minds, even if there isn't a story. Uh, adding some flash to these proceedings, I think, will definitely make the match stand out from other matches that they have had in the past. The, the, the gimmick attached to the match, what happens after the match in terms of what it results in, and the presentation of the characters in this match, I think, slash hope, will make it stand out from their other encounters and eclipse any matches they would have had in the past. So... You know, if they had a, I think they had a cage match at No Way Out. I don't know if anybody really remembers that positively or fondly, which is kind of the death knell of a wrestling match. You know, I host, shameless plug, WCW Must Die, which rotates with this show on Sundays that don't follow a WWE pay-per-view. So, you know, probably three, four Sundays a month, depending on the month. And, you know, WCW 2000 is a, an interesting topic to tackle but when the stuff is so bad, it's a lot of fun to talk about because it stands out like a sore thumb. And when stuff is really good, it's a great, pleasant surprise. But, you know, when you have a wrestling match or a storyline that's just somewhere in the middle, it's not memorable. And I feel like that's kind of the modern product in a nutshell, and it's not a tangent I meant to get on. But hopefully the sizzle and the steak, the, the, excuse me, the sizzle and the pop and circumstance of this presentation eclipses those other matches that don't live in our minds as a positive or a bad thing. You still get Pete Rose engagement as well. There's no way I'm taking Pete Rose away from WrestleMania and Kane. So that's fun. Um, and finally... The, the last pro, which may be a pro only in my head, the presentation and the layout of the match that I'm going to give you in just a moment does give us that DX green cost, green flame and black attire that I've always wanted to see Kane wear. Sorry, could you say that again? Sorry, a 
couldn't hear what you said. Apparently, my watch is angry at me. I said something it didn't like. And I hope it came through because I think fun stuff like that is uh, <laughs> just reiterates how gorilla we are as podcasters. But it's a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, the DX Green Cane is something I love. I always on like WrestleMania 2000 would try to alter the colors on Kane's costume and pair him up with X-Pac for matches to, to give him that synergy. Uh, I always wanted Kane to be like an honorary or just a straight up member of DX when they were baby faces. So as I mentioned in the intro for this match, it is a surrender match, um, which isn't something I don't know that a match has ever been billed at, but it bills at, but it's basically I quit. But I didn't want to call it an I quit match because there have been, especially around this time, some some pretty stupendous or memorable I quit matches in WWF history. So basically the gimmick is you have to, by making your opponent surrender, they're not only surrendering the match, but basically the main piece of their identity. All right. So Kane's mask is on the line, a huge part of his comfort and his identity. And for X-Pac, the concept of DX is on the line. It's something that he would have to surrender, which is also his identity. X-Pac would be flanked by Tori and Pete Rose. It would be previously announced that Pete Rose would be in his corner, uh, probably in like a, a customized Pete Rose DX jersey to make sure that Paul Bear doesn't get involved because there's that hate between Pete Rose and Kane. I envision, uh, you know, when the Kane music hits, it's just his original music and, you know, there's no entrance yet. So obviously the heels come out first or waiting in the ring. Then Paul Bearer comes out. Um, I, I, one of the things I liked about Paul Bearer appearing at this many was he had that red attire variant, which was always fun. Uh, I envisioned him coming out in green with like a black shirt and a black tie, sort of showing the crowd this is what they're going to be getting. Like in Kane and Paul Bearer's mind, they've already won and own DX as a concept because if Kane wins, you know, X-Pac has to give him Degeneration X. They can no longer be a stable. It would then be Kane's stable in quotation marks. Okay. And then of course, if the bad guys win, they get the mask of Kane, which is his identity. And I guess X-Pac could cut some fun promos about how he's going to wear Kane's mask and DX is going to sell his mask and Kane's not going to get any of the money. I don't know. You don't have to go that deep, but it's just stuff that kind of popped into my head. So uh, Paul Bear would introduce Kane. You know, the lights would go out. The flames would hit. The, try to get some green flames if, the, if special effects can do that. And I have this envisioned of Kane coming down to the ring. Uh, and we know WWF production can do this to a sick, awesome mashup of the DX song with the Kane theme music. Again, indicating in the minds of the baby faces, they've already won this. And Kane would come down in a his DX Kane attire that, you know, like I said, myself and I think a lot of other people have always sort of clamored for and wanted to see, indicating that in their minds, they've already won the match. So to paint a broad stroke of the ending, Kane would go over. I think it's pretty straight and forward and simple. You've already invested the money in this this Kane DX concept. Let's roll with it for a little bit. Let's make DX a mid-card to high mid-card babyface stable where Kane can take some of these folks that are in the mid card that don't really have anything going for them. I know that like Steve Blackman's in head cheese at this point. Okay. But maybe, and, and this is just popping into my head. This, this isn't something I pre-planned, but like imagine a guy like Steve Blackman who has no personality 
being in DX and with Kane and Paul Baratop and spending some time trying to get, you know, trying to encourage you like, come on, Steve, do something funny. And Steve Blackman doing like a very uninterested crotch chop. I don't know. It's silly. But it puts something in the mid card that meandering baby faces can attach themselves to for mid card feuds against heels. And it also allows the DX members of the stable to finally move on from that DX concept. We all know that it didn't really play out well when they eventually got away from it in the real world. But if you're a member of the creative team, those are some things that you look forward to having in your toolbox moving forward. And hey, I think that's a nice opener. It's got some fun sizzle attached to it. It's a great way to get started with the new WrestleMania 16. All right, guys and gals out there, let's keep this crazy train rolling forward with match number two of the revamped WrestleMania 16 card. You know, I So I sat down to sort of figure out how, how do you hype up the second match on a card? And it I just wanted to put this out there. It's kind of something that popped into my head as I was doing this. No one really waxes poetic about the like greatest second match on a card in history. You know, we... Fun topics are things like, oh, what's the best main event ever? What's the best opener and what have you? And it's like, who wants to be the second match on a card if you buy into the concept that the opener is supposed to be hot and what have you? What should the second match be? Should it be a, an L? Should the should you should you keep climbing the mountain? Should you bring you down? Like I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a producer of a wrestling show, and I'm not here to do that. I just kind of wanted to put it out there. Like if you were to do a t- potential show idea, if you were to do a tournament of like the best second matches of all time, who's going to come out on top? I'm not saying or promoting that I'm going to do that, but I don't know. It's kind of fun. And it also brought, and, and you know, like I said, I was going to try to take this assignment very seriously, and I am, but I wanted to throw this sort of personal tangent in there. Um, I have this fun little sort of uh, concept that I live by, and I'm just going to share it with everybody because it's my show after all. You kind of have to listen to what I talk about. So I know that Tuesday isn't the second day of the week, Okay, but it is the second day of the stereotypical American work week, and so it resonates with me. So Tuesday, being the second day, is the absolute worst fucking day of all time. And he, and here's my my rationalization for that. Okay, everybody always points to Monday. Well, somebody's got a case of the Mondays, but. We've all got, in America anyway, and and I'm not trying to generalize this, but I can only give you my experiences, okay? That's what I have to to go off of. So as an American, a kid growing up in America, you know, Monday through Friday were the school days. So I am programmed to know that on Sunday evening, the next day is Monday, and I have to get back to my routine slash reality, okay? Now, Wednesday or hump day, as it's colloquially known, which is a phrase that I can't stand, but uh, putting it out there anyway, is at least the middle of the week. It feels a little special. Even if people walk around saying annoying things like, well, hey, at least it's hump day. It's kind of like, well, in your mind, you're almost done. Now, Thursday, you might argue, has nothing going for it, except the fact that the whole day you're thinking, well, at least tomorrow's Friday. And Friday can be anything, you know, it can be the last day of your work week, it can be that day you take vacation to have a three-day week, or it might be a day in your office or your job or what have you, well, where they do something special or unique because it's Friday and it's an easier day to get through because you know as the hours pass, you're closer to just having the weekend in front of you. 
which leaves me with Tuesday. What the fuck is Tuesday? You can't say, well, it's the day before hump day because hump day is basically worthless. You really want to celebrate Tuesday by saying it's the, you know, so the Tuesday has no value. Monday might be harder in quotation marks, but you're prepared for Monday. You're not prepared for Tuesday. It's pointless. It's worthless. The only thing it's got going for it. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. God damn you, Siri watch. I'm leaving it in. Um, The only thing Tuesday has going for it these days is that it is indeed the day that DC Comics are released. So for what that's worth, everybody out there. Match number two. One of my rules was every championship had to be defended, and that did come to bite me in the ass at the very, very end. But luckily, I think I made it work. So it's the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. Did you remember that existed? I didn't until it came to the last minute. It's Chris Jericho who I think was billed at 227, according to his Wikipedia article, so it's very easy to believe he could just get down to 220 or 219, and you can you don't have to have it kayfabe, uh, whatever. You know, this is wrestling after all. Chris Jericho versus Dean Malenko, who at this point was indeed the champion, with Eddie Guerrero in his corner. So let's start with the cons. The light heavyweight championship belt is basically worthless at this point and i'm not saying that to def- i mean i mean come on i think we all understand where i'm coming from in that doesn't mean dean malenko is worthless i'm just saying the title has been you know it, i think it was on gilberg at, previously which is almost worse than being held in abeyance uh legendary podcaster aaron george's favorite word does this devalue chris jericho at this point by putting him in a match for this championship And another con, the final one that came to my head, doesn't this sort of feel like WCW all over again? You know, you get these radicals into the WWF and you think of all these fresh matchups that can now occur. And here we are at the first big show that they're on and it's kind of a WCW repeat. Now let's pivot to the pros that I felt were a part of booking this match. You get to showcase the value of Dean Malenko to his new audience. He is a new character. And while I would definitely say he is a better character than Saturn, a better wrestler, and just, you know, I'd rather watch a Malenko match than a Saturn match, in my opinion, Malenko has always come across in the WWF as the last radical. He's the other one, the one you always sort of have to remember was there. So, and I guess you could argue that, you know, does this show the value of having a gimmick in quotation marks? Because, you know, Saturn... While did eventually get stay, you know, saddled with the like dress or moppy gimmicks or whatever he had in WWF, he is that makes him quote unquote memorable, um, for better or worse. Another pro, you want to make Jericho look good. You sign him to this big money contract. Well, here is a chance to perform and get the crowd on his side with his performance that is insane, clever things. And while you all know that Johnny C puts a big value on being able to be good on the mic you know you got to perform and this is a way to do that another pro these two have proven results together i think that sort of writes itself you do have the potential to elevate the championship by showcasing it and you can start populating your raw and smackdown shows with content surrounding a light heavyweight division if this match is successful and puts a positive spin on the belt And the last thing that came to my mind as positive is that while Eddie is out with the injury, he could certainly add some entertainment and some shenanigans to the match, which makes it feel less, and I'm not saying this to, you know, 
buy into the quote-unquote vanilla midgets, which I, actually I don't like that I said that, but there's that Kevin Nash vanilla little person or little, but you know, I don't want to say little person because I think when Nash says it, he says it derogatory. So the vanilla midget theory that, nah, and I don't know, I, I'm not comfortable saying that, but I did and think it's important that I leave my honest feedback and reaction in. So yeah, I, I've envisioned Dean Malenko retaining after, if, retaining cleanly via pinfall. I don't want Jericho to tap to the cloverleaf. Um, and when I say clean, I guess we can have Eddie sort of create a distraction, but I don't want any physicality, anything like that. I want it to be, you know, Jericho maybe gets distracted, but that's his own fault. And Malenko takes advantage 12 to 13 minutes via pinfall. Pivoting or driving into match three, let's go ahead and keep it rolling. For the WWF Hardcore Championship with an added caveat that the 24-7 rule is suspended for this entire day. Because I don't want any 24-7 shenanigans during this match or after the match or whatever. Like I said, we're keeping this, you know, not multi-person unless it's a tag team match. And even then, it's not multi-team. Hardcore Holly versus the champion defending Crash Holly. Let's dig into the cons. This card, which I know in my head and hopefully will be, you know, revealed to you over time, arguably has more important matches that involve extras, in quotation marks. The hardcore division is known as, I mean, it's the hardcore division. It's just a clusterfuck you know, show, you know, they, they, they have all the advantages at their disposal because they need them while other matches will have stipulations or quote, no rules, you know, we'll get there. Um, you know, is having a match like this devaluing the extras when we get to those moments on the card? So I've tried to take that into account. How does a match of this scale in quotation marks stand out amongst the rest because i'm telling you right now on paper any other matches on this card that have stips or you know are no rules no dq whatever definitely eclipse this from the get-go let's look at the pros while it is a year 2000 hardcore match at least there is something for the crowd to invest in you know hardcore and crash holly are were an entertaining duo whether or not I mean, I think if you want to be, uh, oh, what's, you know, if you want to look at it from a, an objective standpoint, um, it's big guy versus little guy, which is easy for a crowd to, to get into. I know Hardcore Holly's not like a towering, you know, beast, but, you know, he's a bigger dude compared to Crash. So, you know, the crowd, if they're not buying into the, the story of the characters, at least from a visual perspective, when you're there live, especially, it's really easy to get behind the little guy. And the last pro that I thought of was we can keep this short, but also keep it valuable. So leading to the result, Crash Holly does retain to keep the crowd happy by having the fun little guy win. But we keep it five to six minutes. These guys get a blow off. They get a nice payday, um, but they don't overstay their welcome, which, like I said, on a card like this is important. You cannot undervalue your big marquee stip matches by having your low-key stip matches take the shine away. Let's keep going, because I don't have a lot to say about you know the third match, uh, but I do about the fourth. It's for the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship 
Chris Benoit takes on the defending champion, Kurt Angle. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of story for this, okay? I don't know that there's a massive story you have to tell, but since this is a big alteration from what we got, uh, the creative team decided to, at some point between February and March, or April, I guess this pay-per-view was, like April 1st or 2nd or something like that, uh, Kurt Angle would be stripped of the European Championship. Um, I don't know, maybe he doesn't defend it in the appropriate amount of time. Um, I, I didn't want to take valuable podcast time explaining something like that because I do have bigger picture actual stories to explain when I get to the main events. So put that into your head and that'll be addressed because obviously one of the rules, all championships are going to be defended. Um, There was, you know, there was a scenario that leads to, you know, him being stripped of the European championship. Okay. Let's get at the cons. At this point, Kurt Angle is already a fantastic character and a wrestler at this point but his character stuff is really really at the forefront and let's be honest i don't care when this match takes place he gets better but chris benoit could never ever match the character stuff uh that angle could put out so you you kind of lose that in the build because you don't want to have angle really outshine benoit as a character because benoit is new Okay. Also, I envision this as like a work rate heavy match. And since it's the year 2000, is it too easy for this to get lost on this card when other matches will have work rate but also sizzle attached to it? Another con, Chris Benoit was just the WCW champion. And even though it was for only one day, is it odd that here he is making his WWF pay-per-view debut in a match for a secondary championship now pivoting off of that let's look at the pros this reiterates to your audience that the wcw champion is less than or equal to the top secondary championship in the wwf now you don't need this to really reiterate that because it's clear at this point because we're like one week away from the russo bischoff reboot which you know i i mean we all know how i feel about that but it's, it's kind of like they're doing the job already by having the show that they have. We all know that the WCW title is kind of worthless. Another pro, we all know that this can be a great match from a lot of perspectives. Um, it, I think on, on paper, it's like a internet wrestling dream wet, mat, wet dream match, you know, to be silly about it. And without the third person in the ring that we had in our reality, these guys can really be the focus and tell a story with their work rate. It also arguably positions the Intercontinental Championship, the Intercontinental title, higher than it's been in years in terms of the WrestleMania structure by having a uh, Savage Steamboat style type match. Now, that match benefited from being work rate heavy, but also storyline heavy, so I'm not trying to say that, but it could be a show stealer, is what I'm saying. And given the result that I've planned, the last pro, it's a super easy way to elevate the quotation marks new guy. So given that, I've got Chris Benoit winning the championship. I think you can get the cross face over. You can have angle tap without destroying his character. Um, That, you know, Kurt Angle is one of those bulletproof guys. I really believe that. So another kind of pro that stems out of this result, as I sort of talked about in our first match, this, this can elevate and help 
your creative direction moving forward. You know, what if Kurt Angle does sort of a what happened to me gimmick? You know, I had the world in the palm of my hands. I was a double champ. They took one from me and now I lost my other one. Well, he can sort of reset and focus on the king of the ring gimmick. Okay, he can sort of say things or become a character that's trying to get back on top. So what does he do? He enters the king of the ring tournament because he's tournament tested. Uh, He won an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck. I've heard before. So why not prove his dominance by winning another tournament? And that creates an instant story for your king of the ring. And it also elevates the king of the ring concept by making it look like it's something that can get you back on top or re-establish you as a character that can compete for championships. So in the long run, you can get your other pay-per-views over by, you know, doing something with your the pay-per-view that's right in front of your face. Not a bad idea. Maybe something that they could use going forward. But, uh, you know, that's one of the guess, sad things about these alternate reality type shows is regardless of what awesome points you think you make as the person rebooking the show, there's really nothing you can do about it in the reality of the situation. Now, the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in at this point is we are reaching, even though we're only four matches in, we are starting to reach... Um, I guess the summit or the sprint section, any colloquialism colloquialism you'd like to use, I have envisioned this show as being stacked towards the end. And to define stacked towards the end, to me, that means that our five, seven, and nine holes, which I think is a baseball thing? I don't know. It's it's irrelevant. But our, our matches five, seven, and nine are booked or structured the card in such a way that those are your your biggins to, to, to sound a little southern if you pardon that I don't think it's south it's just biggins doesn't sound exactly like the most intelligible word but you have a, a, a big match five and then a cool downer and then a, you know, I, I mean come on it writes itself I mean I think it's pretty self-explanatory so that being said I guess I owe you guys a fifth match that in my opinion is important and uh, high profile. What better way to start the... And it's not a triple main event. It's not billed as such. But I guess we could think of it as a triple main event. Even though it's not. Match number five. Four. <laughs> I didn't mean to say five and four so quick, close to one another. So matched the fifth match. Four. There we go. The World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championships. We have a ladder match. The Hardy Boys challenge the champions, the Dudley Boys. Now, uh, stipulation attached to this match. The belts are hung together in a sense that they're in the same spot. The ladder match championships are always placed. But there are two hooks. One for each championship match. If you want your team to win, okay... You got to claim both belts. The best, po- so you know, the first two indi- it is a it's a tag team match, but the first two individuals that claim the titles are the champions. All right, I don't have a story to go off of this. I'm sorry. I wanted to talk about the pros and cons a lot more than get into the fake story for a fake match that can never really exist. But that is a little extra piece of sizzle to, I guess, compensate for the lack of the third team being here. 
So let's take a look at the cons. Again, as I've mentioned before, in my opinion, it's, well, I mean, just if you look at it, it is a very stacked show with a decent amount of stipulation matches, some of which we haven't even gotten to yet. And the, the last real big con that stood out to me is that on paper, okay, this match already seems less valuable than the original match. And of course, if you're doing an exercise like this, you want to make everything better. But, you know, it's it, that'd be really easy to do if you didn't have to follow any rules. But damn it, it's not fun if there aren't rules. So the pros that I came up with surrounding this is that I feel like, and I wanna, I'm going to restart that sentence, I feel like one could argue that at this point in time, in the hierarchy of these three teams that we all know and love, that Edge and Christian are the LVPs, or least valuable players, of the trio. We can still use WrestleMania 16 as a show that elevates them. More to come on that later. And to be honest, the the sizzle of this concept, okay, we all know this where this leads us at SummerSlam, the, the TLC, okay? The, uh, I, I, the chairs... Awesome. Edge and Christian totally made it their own. The concerto. I mean, it's, it is, I don't want to say it's legendary, but I mean, it is, it's a big part of the thing. Like Edge can do a, a Edge, Edge and Damian Priest could hypothetically do a concerto on t- tonight. According to this on a Friday, spoiler. Uh, and, and it would be believable because we know the concerto. We know Edge's history with it. So they totally made it their thing. But the Hardy Boys won the first ladder match. They're very aerial. I'm not saying Edge and Christian aren't, but you know, the Jeff Hardy flash. You know, they're they're ladder-based competitors. That's their thing. The Dudleys, the tables, I don't even need to get into it. The chairs felt a little tacked on. So if you only have two teams, the Hardys and the Dudleys are the teams that add the most outside of the norms of professional wrestling flair to the proceedings, okay? Ladders are flashy. People love to see tables break. If you had to have two, I think... Arguably and mathematically, even though it has nothing to do with math, these are the two that you want. Uh, another pro is that with only two teams involved, you may actually be able to tell a more focused story that isn't just built around. And I, I use this term lovingly, like car crash type scenarios. I love, hey, I love the ladder TLC matches. Like I have no problems with them. Okay, but if you're trying to find potential positivities. I mean, it could be interesting to see these two teams work against one another only where you're not trying to contrive spots where multiple people are knocked out by something so you can have someone climb the ladder or have a person to block the ladder climbing or what have you. It just might be easier for them to lay out as professionals and they could you know, give us a performance that uh, is just as, if not better, than the one that we already have on the, the, you know, in, from history. And hopefully the new stipulations or the altered stipulations add a little bit of intrigue to the match. Hopefully. Um, The winners of the contest or the way that I see this match ending is we have new tag team champions, Bubba Ray Dudley and Matt Hardy. Now, you, you just threw your headphones against the wall and said, damn it, of course... Johnny C. books some Vince Russo tag team partners that don't get along contrived scenario. 
And yes, it is that. I'm not going to run from that. But I wrote a pretty decent amount of points that I could put into my head to try to reiterate to the listening audience as to why this could be a positive thing. All right. So at this point, the Hardys still feel like sort of unknowns in a sense that they are a very flashy loved tag team. But we all know that as time, because we have the benefit of hindsight, of course, you cannot, it's hard to erase that from something like this, but we know that Jeff Hardy's character, his presentation is always sort of that daredevil presentation. He never really gets good on the mic. I don't know. You could argue that. I know some people love Jeff, but to me, it's always like he's at his most valuable when he's a crash test dummy. And um, that sounds mean. I, I don't know. It's not a perfect world, guys. That's just kind of the way I look at it. And Matt's character is sort of a a brain type character, okay? Now, yes, he's, he's sort of an evil genius. Like the version one character, the broken Matt Hardy, there's intelligence there, okay? Now, his character might be goofy, but he's the brains, all right? I don't really know any other way to put it. So what you have coming out of here is... Matt Hardy can sort of, because we know he can do it, play that sort of brainy type character, not in a way that he's like really smart, but in a way that he's perhaps appalled by his new tag team partner. Because I believe at this point, to keep it PC, Bubba was still not as well versed at communication. So, you know, you can have some sort of silly shenanigans. You can have scenarios where it's like, well, of course they want their brothers to be their partners, but, you know. They don't want to not be the tag team champions. And you can't just lose a tag team belt. You know what I mean? You can't just have a match. Well, I mean, I suppose you could do anything you want. It's professional wrestling. But there's no archetype of a tag team championship match where it's like, okay, so one belt is on the line and, you know, what have you. This latter scenario creates a unique opportunity to have a realistic scenario where the people that claim physical ownership of the belts are the new tag team champions. And this could be a fun scenario that literally takes us all the way to SummerSlam, where we can finally do, you know, or not finally, but in this world, we can debut the triple threat tag team ladder match. And it would be the first TLC match. And I think in history, it's kind of like a bummer that they do the triple, they do the triangle ladder match, as it's known at WrestleMania, and then they do the TLC at SummerSlam. Those are only a few months apart. And let's be honest, tables, ladders, and chairs are legal in the triangle ladder match as well. And the SummerSlam match gets known historically as TLC1. And it's kind of like, yeah, but isn't the March match kind of TLC1? I mean, TLC only exists as a moniker that they create for marketing purposes. But you kind of see where I'm going here. SummerSlam can be even more special by that being the first time it happens. You can have the same rules... And maybe Jeff and Devon enter as a makeshift team. Edge and Christian enter as themselves. And, uh, you know, Bubba and Matt defend the straps. And I think one of the biggest, you know, one of the things that we, we like to wax poetic on is that that's in North Carolina. And the Hardys don't win the TLC match. So what a great way to finally put a bow on this initial stage of these three tag teams' storylines by having the actual Hardy Boys claim the individual championships at SummerSlam in North Carolina to, hopefully, thunderous applause. So, 
I don't know. I don't know if you call it a makeshift way to get there. It's a fun way to get there. It's a fake way to get there. So if you like it or don't like it, I suppose it doesn't really affect you in the end. But I think it's a great way to still have something spectacular in that spot. And we've talked about Edge and Christian. So the cat's out of the bag. I, I think I mentioned that we would tackle them uh, in the show. Well, we're already there. It's match number six. It's a death spot. I'm sorry for that. But you trust me, when I tell you what match seven is, you don't want to be match eight. Match eight is the death spot. This is the better of the death spots. So what we've got is what's billed as a marquee match. Edge versus Christian. So let's describe what a marquee match is. And I'll get into the more weeds uh, when I get into the pros. But a marquee match is a match to determine whose name appears first on the marquee. Now, yes, that's silly. Okay, it's very silly. So if Christian wins, the tag team becomes known as Christian and Edge. And if Edge wins, the tag team becomes known as Edge and Christian. Goofy, yes, but we'll get there. These are the right people for something like that. The cons. Well, hindsight rears its ugly head again and tells us that Edge and Christian have never really had, like, the match. And I think you could go take that one step further and be like, Matt and Jeff Hardy never really had the match. Because when we have tag teams that we love, like the New Day, for example, okay? Like, I... I hypothesize that a good, a cool main event for this year's Mania, even that just happened, the stupendous one, because we don't know the numbers, uh, could have been like Big E versus Xavier versus Kofi and a triple threat for the WWE Championship. A way to have, but but it would be built upon like a sort of respect scenario. Like we know we're the three best guys in the company. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to get off on that, but you know, sometimes they're just tag teams that break up and they just don't have good matches together. Okay, and. Another con is how could anyone possibly think that there is a better way to get these guys over than having them in that triangle ladder match? I mean, I guess I would agree with you, but the rules don't allow it, so we've got to make do. And April 2000 isn't exactly like the hot time for these guys as characters, but we are really, really, really close. Okay, so we're going to, you know, get creative and say that the creative team allowed these guys to be a bit more expressive in the weeks and the month leading up to this mania. So let's take a look at the pros. I kind of mentioned the first one. Since we know that they get hot soon with the right creative, they can become more personality based entertainers as well as wrestlers a little bit earlier. And while this is a wrestling match, it is unique. This match comes down the aisle with a sense of humor to it because you know, they have, they, you could have them constantly arguing backstage, not in like violent ways, but in comedic ways. Like, you know, maybe they're getting interviewed and it's like, Edge of Christian, tonight you're taking on, I, I don't know, Test and Albert. And Christian would be like, yes, Christian and Edge are taking on TNA. And I think it's going to be like, and then Edge being like, wait a minute, Christian. It's, he said Edge and Christian. That's my best Edge impression. I've never done it. So let me know what you think. Um, and, you know, go from there. All right. Uh, so humor is a part of the build and it would play into the story of the match because, well, they they're both really um, and plus it's a heel versus heel. So and I think in, in this time frame, especially the, the WWE universe, ugh, I can't believe I said that the WWE fans sort of find a way to to get into the match because 
we're dealing with very alive personalities. Uh, and when I say that you know, these aren't tag team partners that are breaking up, okay? So if like Tito Satan and Rick Martel break up and they finally have a match, I mean, they want to kill each other, hypothetically, within the confines of the story. There, it's a blood feud. These guys just both want their names to be first. And as soon as they establish their name as first, they want to go on as a successful tag team and be the tag team champions forever and ever. So, you know, they get going and, and maybe Christian hits like a really good spot that, you know, uh, it's a it's a high impact move and Edge is like, oh, you know, it's selling big time, like down for the count. Well, in a wrestling match, when you hit a big move that's going to lead to your victory, you know, you like Roman hits the spear and he stands up and he's like, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, I got you, you piece of shit. So Christian stands up and he's like, yeah, yeah. Then he's like, oh, God, did I kill him? Like, <laughs> I don't want, you know, like I did, I want to win, but I don't want to hurt the guy. Like, and maybe it's funny. I don't know. These guys can do it, though. These guys can pull it off. And I think that, you know, I don't want to I don't want to wait on it too much. But that, that's the setup. That's the gag. That's the gimmick. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these guys at least do something memorable because this match type is doesn't exist. And I don't know. We'll go with it. But I, I do see I do have Edge winning because he's taller. This is the World Wrestling Federation. Nah, that's a gag. I, I do think that even at this point, I think that the higher ups probably always felt that Edge had the higher upside. We have hindsight as a benefit, yada, yada, yada. But uh, it does put Christian in a position where he can still continue to use his humor to get over, even though he lost the marquee match and his name comes second in the tag team. I mean, these guys are still a great team. They're a great duo. They have all sorts of chemistry. And and to be put on this stage with build-up, indicating that these characters are, have now have more humor, they're going to make it work, and at the end of the day, I think it's just easier to call them Edge and Christian as opposed to Christian and Edge. I don't, I can't give you science behind that. It's just my own personal take. So I guess, you know, when you, when you put these two matches together, it puts a bow on how these tag teams end up at this new WrestleMania 16. It's a little different, uh, but it puts everybody over. And we have a natural path to SummerSlam, which isn't WrestleMania, of course, but from a historic standpoint on Earth-16, it's your first TLC match, but it's also your first triangle ladder match. It just it just, it makes sense. It's cohesive, and I think it would be a lot of fun to be a part of. <laughs> of course, we can't go watch this, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. We can still, you guys can listen to this podcast anytime you get nostalgic for WrestleMania 16. So when you binge watch all the WrestleManias in the lead-up to WrestleMania, you can skip 16 and just listen to this podcast. It'll be here for you. It's evergreen, if you will. All right, guys and gals and everyone else, settle down and let's get seated because here comes the first of our advertised double main events. It's a big one. They simply call it Career Control. It's a career-ending match. The Rock with Vince McMahon versus Mick Foley with Shane McMahon. I should note right off the get-go that they're just corner people. They're not competitors in the match. I want to make that clear. Now, let's get into some cons and some pros. Cons. Haven't we been here before? 
even as I came up with this concept as a very, very vague piece of business in my head, I thought to myself, well, God, didn't they have that pink slip match? And I was like, yeah, they did have that. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty good. It's a good concept. It's a great, it's a good storyline. I think the storyline was so perfect that even got imported into a couple of the video games or what have you, because I remember playing it there. But, um, sometimes you can take something that exists in one form and you can use it to enhance the next version of that, or you can use it to enhance, um, you know, the, a better way, enhance a way to tell the same story, but with more finality. Um, so we'll get there. Another con is this is going to require a massive reevaluation of history. Um, just because it's, it's a difficult task to do because this isn't something that was ever, you know, it's kind of like, not to harp on Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart in 93 again, I think I beat that horse to death, but you can argue that because they, you know, the rumor has it that that was a, a, an idea that was tossed around that you could have conceivably gotten yourself there with just a few different chess pieces moved. This is a complete rewrite. It's nothing like that. Uh, another card, shouldn't the rock just be the champion? Shouldn't, you know, I said earlier in the pregame that everybody would probably just do Rock, Helmsley, title, that's it. It's straightforward. It seems like the correct program and what have you. And again, that's just a little too easy. I kind of wanted to challenge myself. And I'm not saying that, like, this is any good, all right? I'm just, I'm not trying to sit on this top of this mountain like, well, that's not enough of a challenge. I just wanted to do something different. I thought it would be more fun. And also... Wouldn't this kind of turn the rock heel based on the absolute love for Foley? Well, let's take a look at the pros. Mick Foley may not be the Macho Man Randy Savage, okay? But they are both members of a very small club of the the best storytellers in professional wrestling. And I, I truly believe that. I'm not saying that just to make it fit my, my narrative for this little game that I'm playing, okay? Uh, Mick was great at telling stories, not only with his body, but with his promos. And I think something like this, um, a potential actual like final chapter, he would put his all into. So I have that buy-in that regardless of what I come up with, if you can really imagine it happening, the uh, participants involved would give it their all. Um, if done properly, the multiple storylines involved in this match would create like a very unique cadence to it. Potentially at various points throughout the match, the crowd could, could easily and hopefully find themselves shifting their alliance based solely on what they are seeing happen in the ring, okay? Now, I, I'm not trying to, again, put myself over... I, I told a set on 100 pods that I was at WrestleMania 18 rock, for Rock Hogan, okay? Now, I was decked out in Hogan gear, like cheering for Hogan, you know, from the get-go. Uh, I happened to be in an area of the crowd where there were a decent amount of Rock fans in very close proximity to me, okay? Maybe The Rock's their favorite wrestler, or maybe they hate Hulk Hogan or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that as the match progressed... Based on their preconceived notions, they all at some point, or the majority of, I'm not trying to rewrite and wax poetic, they, they, they were cheering for Hogan, as I think that you can hear on the, uh, on the crowd audio, okay? That's legit. Like, people got turned that were rock fans, you know, when the match started. And I think that that's probably pretty easy to believe. And I think that this is the type of match that could literally make them switch against their 
largest of preconceived beliefs. You know, like, oh, we can't lose the, the Rock can't retire. He's the Rock. Well, you know, maybe if they do play their cards right, they can't possibly ex- um, face a world without Foley based on what's happening in this match. You know, they make him love him that much. So those are the pros and cons. And I decided to say, all right, I, I think those are weighed out evenly. I think the pros outweigh the cons. Let's get creative. All right. So um, I'm going to walk us through the story beats that get us here. All right. I am going to try to keep it as concise as possible. Uh, but I also want to paint a picture because to me, this is the fun part. All right. So everything that has happened up until No Way Out, the February pay-per-view, happened. Okay. Um, we make, here's where the first minor change comes into play. Uh, the Hell in a Cell match is no longer billed as a, you know, it's not like, you know, Foley loses, he has to retire, etc., etc. It's the old, it's your, it's, you know, I put in the contract, this is your last chance at the world title. So much, in fact, that they get crazy with the stipulation and do a little variant. Because it's like, um, oh, well, you know, like, um. There, you know, the heel might say, uh, you know, as long as I'm champion, you can never wrestle me for the championship, what have you. And then they had the the inverse, which is like the Cody Rhodes is just not allowed, period, to wrestle for the championship. This would be, uh, you know, Mick Foley is no longer able to wrestle Triple H ever under any circumstances, period. It can't happen. And um, on Sunday Night Heat, before no way out, before no way out, okay. Um, well, actually, let's not start there. Let's start with what's happening. The Rock and Big Show match for the main event at WrestleMania is still a part of it. Okay. Now, leading up to that encounter, Vince has been subtly helping The Rock along the way. Uh, because the Vince McMahon character is motivated to get The Rock into the WrestleMania main event. Because his ultimate goal is to see Triple H get dethroned. He hates him. He's a, you know, married my daughter, brainwashed her, all this stuff. Like, and to him, The Rock is the man. The Rock is the one that can defeat Triple H. He doesn't believe in the Big Show because the Big Show had his shot. You know, he had to, he lost the championship to him. That can kind of be his motivation. I don't trust the Big Show. I don't think he can get the job done. Now, during Heat, on No Way Out, okay, uh, The Rock is in his locker room and in comes Cactus Jack, you know, Mick, because at this time he's Cactus Jack. And he tells The Rock, he's like, Rock, I want to thank you for everything you've done for me. And I just want you to know that tonight I have your back and I'll see you at WrestleMania because you're going to be the number one contender and I'm going to be the champion. And hopefully this pops the crowd. And he says, Rock, there is no one that I would be more honored to defend the title against than you. And and you know Mick you know he he goes to leave because he knows the rocks more of just like a you know he could he could tell the rock how he feels but the rock probably isn't going to say anything back to him and and he's come to terms with that but the rock in a rare show of emotion as Mick is leaving just says Mick you know Mick turns around and the rock offers him his hand and Mick comedically because you know this is the love of mick character he kind of sees this as like oh no as like, oh this is great the rock has has put down all his barriers and he goes in for a hug and then this is done to be funny this is not done to to make mick look bad or to make the rock look like a dick it would be funny he would back up and be like uh, you know like the rock's not you know the rock's not ready for a hug there mick you know he doesn't say that or anything like that but and then mick just kind of laughs and like and gives him and shake goes in for the handshake and he realizes that like Getting The Rock to 
call him back into the room and offer him his hand is almost it, that's that's the rock's hug okay that's the most he's going to get from him but he knows he's getting more than anyone ever has before and you know they're shaking hands and rock just says you got this and, and mick just you know smiles because like the rock believes in him now i'm not saying the mick foley character is like oh the rock believes in me i could do anything but it's like that's what i needed to hear man like this is it like i find you know of all people rock finally believes in me has my back etc etc so the rock big show match happens first as we know it does the ref's down you know assuming these scenarios where there's a massive clusterfuck that the ref is down it's the vince russo and me i'm sorry so shane return the ref's down shane returns to help the big show okay and shane and the big show are double teaming the rock hopefully at this point the beatdown's gone on uh, you know long enough that the crowd should be chanting fully because you know the sunday night heat sketch sketch was sketch sketch i don't re-record things it's fun you know it played before the crowd so they we, we've laid the seeds that foley is going to help the rock he's got his back nothing nothing the beatdown continues a few more awkward seconds pass where the crowd's like, uh, you know, the Foley thing, you know, because we're trained for these things. The crowd is thinking of us, well, Foley should have been here by now. Like, where is this going? All of a sudden, you know, no chance. Here comes Vince. All right. Shane sees that Vince is coming down and, and scatters. Okay. Vince, the big show is still beating on the rock and, and not paying any attention to the fact that Vince is coming. He, I guess he assumes Shane is going to take him out. Vince grabs a chair that was in the ring, okay? Big Show catches wind of this, ducks, and Vince, who's swinging the chair like his life depends on it, just nails the rock on accident. Like, this is, it's clear to everyone this was an accident, and Vince is, like, visibly pissed. Shane's come back around. You know, he didn't go all the way to the back. He sprints in, grabs a chair, goes to do a massive swing to Vince. Vince ducks, so the chair hits the Big Show. And again, Brock and Big Show have to sort of be in on this. They need to take these things full bore. This needs to look like the chair shots of death. So both of the athletes in the contest are down. The McMahons chase each other to the back. Hopefully, and the ref's still down. Um, hopefully another Foley champ breaks out. You know, may, you know Foley's going to come down. He's going to put the Rock's arm on the Big Show or something like that. But nothing happens. The ref stands up and legitimately does the standing 10 count. And that's it. The... The, the Rock versus Big Show match to see who goes to WrestleMania has ended in a draw. So based on the contracts that were in place, the winner was to go to WrestleMania to challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship. These guys are done. They, they had their shot. They lost it. Any previous contractual agreement they had to challenge was voided by this match, and the loss of this match takes them out completely. Now, hey, this is all... This is the storyline that's going to be presented. I'm not saying this is reality. Come on, give me a little bit of credit, but that's that's the that's the motive, all right? So there is no challenger for WrestleMania. We will tackle that at the end. On Raw the next night, no Rock, no Foley. And again, these are these are vague steps, okay? But it gets us there. The next week, Rock finally returns, comes out to cut a promo. He doesn't blame Mick. You know, they kind of, it's not even about Mick. He just, you know, you know, he just doesn't blame Mick. All right. Vince comes out. He does. He does blame Mick. And The Rock's like, The Rock's like having none of this. Like, he doesn't really, he's not here to defend Mick's honor. But he also realizes that this is fucking Vince's fault. 
Like, regardless of what Mick may have told him or anything like that, this is Vince's fault. Because if Vince doesn't interfere, you know, Rock doesn't get knocked out with a chair. Potentially, maybe he comes back and fights his way away from the uh, the beatdown. Or maybe the ref wakes up and sees the beatdown and disqualifies Big Show. You know, like, this is clearly Vince's fault. It He took Rock out of the contest. Shane comes out with a big grin on his face and says he's so tired of listening to both of them, stuff like that. He has a contract in his hands. And he says, you know, you guys hate, you guys are clearly at one another's throats. I can't stand either one of you. This contract will take care of all of that. But he doesn't really describe what it is. He's kind of vague about it. And of course, the Rock and Vince are like, what what could you possibly have on us? You got a contract. It's not like I got to agree to it. All of a sudden, out of the crowd, Mick Foley. Mick Foley, and not really like wrestling attire, but I really don't also want him to look like a, like a jobber, but just, he's not a character. He's just Mick Foley, okay? Grabs a weapon, takes out Vince. The Rock's kind of like, Jesus, well, at least Vince is down. Where you been, Mick? You know, what have you. Boom, nails the Rock. And, um, you know, again, this is part of the storyline. Both Vince and Rock are got to agree to juice, and Mick's got to hit him hard. So they're both knocked out, bleeding. Shane brings the contract to Mick. Mick, you know, does the whole thing. He takes their hands, puts them in blood, and signs the contracts. My God, what has happened? What, you know, what, is, what does this mean? What is the contract? Etc., etc. The next week on Raw, Mick finally has to give his motive, his explanations. He explains that at No Way Out, he wanted to help The Rock. He was ready to help The Rock. He saw what was happening. He went to run to the to the uh, to the ring to help him, and for just a moment, he felt fear. Now, why would he feel fear? Because The Rock, because The Rock, excuse me, because Mick knows that he's leaving as a World Wrestling Federation champion tonight. He knows it in his in his in his heart. He knows there's no way that he can't possibly not win that championship tonight it's everything he's been working towards it's everything he's dreamed of there's no way that after everything he's been through his dream doesn't come true but that half second of fear was because he saw in his mind the one thing that will end his dream he doesn't know if he can beat the rock at wrestlemania so whatever he accomplishes at no way out in his mind, for this brief second, and he explains all this, is erased. All his success, his dream coming true, gone. Because The Rock will take it from him at WrestleMania because he doesn't know if he can beat The Rock. And that's what fear is. It's the unknown. So, that that half second of fear made him a lesser man. And now because he lost, he can't be the WWF champion. So, he's going to take everything from The Rock... By doing that, he'll purge the fear from his blood. And uh, Shane, when I, when I win this match, Rock, because you know, the match is con- career control. The loser retire. The loser, the losing wrestler retires. The losing manager or the losing McMahon has to give all their stock in the company to the other McMahon, free and clear. So once Shane has complete control or more control than the other McMahons. He will void as the you know the lead shareholder will void the rock or excuse me mixed contract from No Way Out, and he can wrestle for the title on Raw the next night. 
And, and that's his motive. And that's where we're at. You know, everyone in this match has everything to gain. And it, uh, they also, conversely, have everything to lose. And The Rock is completely an involuntary um, participant in this. All right. Um, you know, Vince sort of has made his bed over the years and now has to lay in it. Shane's a douche. And Mix betrayed everything that we believed in. So the last part of the build uh, would be The Rock cutting a promo. Uh, as much as he hates to admit it, sometimes in his quiet moments, the things that Mick d- did or made him feel sort of made The Rock want to work harder. And that's the problem when you let yourself feel because that man is gone. And, you know, at WrestleMania, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll get exactly what's coming to you. Stuff like that. Okay. So that is the buildup that gets us to the ring. Let's go over the results or how I see this thing coming to fruition. Now, during the match, Mick, or during this match, like during this whole thing, Mick is Mick Foley. Okay. But not the Mick Foley from WrestleMania 16 that we know that decided that he was on vacation for four weeks and, uh, hung out at the Dairy Queen. And hey, I love the Dairy Queen. I love Mick. I'm not hating on either. All right. I think he would admit that he hung out at Dairy Queen. Um, lovingly. He would he would wear it with honor. So um, he's wrestling as Mick, though. He's not Mankind. He's not Dude Love. He's not even Cactus Jack. It's just this. He's a fourth character, which is kind of cool. He's this character that lost it all. Not lost his mind, but literally lost his dreams. He's Mick Foley. He's a fictional version of Mick Foley that, you know, has lost his way, all right? But he's also, in an interesting way, more motivated than ever. So the match would be no DQ, no rules. We're not going to work with, you know, uh, within stipulations here. It's for everything. You can't possibly adhere to the rules and 10 counts and breaks and shit like that. Um, at various points, when The Rock would have control, he would seem a little conflicted. Um, and I think that would make sense based on the buildup. But obviously, he's not going to lose and give up his career and he could also give a shit less about Vince he could give a shit less about Shane alright this is between him and Mick in his opinion but you know he can't change the fact that all this window dressing is here and he's got to deal with it now we would notice that Mick Foley's wife I think her name is Colette and I'm going to keep saying Colette and I hope it's not wrong um, you know she would be at ringside that's important for this some at some point in the middle of the match or the end of the first third, it's a it's a it's a uh, and it's a change in acts though. Okay, the match is never the same after this incident. Um, the Rock and Mick would be on the outside brawling, right over near where Colette Foley is. Okay, and Shane would prompt Mick to hold the rock and he's going to run at him with a chair or something like that. And maybe Vince is down. Vince is distracted. I don't know. But Vince, Vince is nowhere in sight to even the odds. And the, and Shane breaks into a full sprint. And, you know, luckily for us, our hero, the rock, maybe he gets a low blow. Maybe he just breaks away, but we've seen it a thousand times, but you know, Hey, it's tried and true rock ducks, Shane, destroys fully with a chair. Now, this has to be it. This has to be, all parties involved need to know that this needs to be the most sickening chair shot in wrestling history because of what it leads to. So, we, we, these guys are putting their all into it. And Mick's got to bleed 
or he's got a blade, and it's got to be good. And Colette needs to be on her game too. But I think the nat- the actual horror of what she is about to see would put her in that spot, because I don't think she's an actress, but that's not the point. As soon as he gets hit, fully, slowly, sta- you know, gets up, and he, you know, he uses the... Um, the barrier to brace himself and stands up and he has to be standing up facing the audience which means the first time anyone sees him it'll be the crowd at ringside Colette and he has to be absolutely covered in blood and Colette horrified blood curdling scream uh, it's happened right in front of her um, you know and, and the match continues and, and you know we don't really Colette doesn't really become an active part of the proceedings. I don't know if we're like cutting to her because I, you know, I can't. I don't think we can get her to cry on cue. I don't know. Maybe she could do it naturally, just because she's freaking out. Maybe she doesn't know what's happening. But it's clear that she's distraught at ringside. But it's not affecting the active competitors. Is my point? Okay. Now, at some point towards the end, Vin, you know, there's a position where Vince can end it all by taking out Foley. He has he has the kill shot, and. The Rock stops him because regardless of everything that he feels, if it has to end like this, he's not going to let some asshole like Vince McMahon end Mick Foley's career and rock bottom. He's gone. And then to counter that, Shane now feels that he's in position to end The Rock permanently. This is it. We can do this. He's in position for the kill shot. Foley seeing what the, how The Rock saved him, is kind of like, huh? And he's kind of working on concussed instinct here. He gets in front of Shane, and maybe he gives him the double-arm DDT or something like that, or maybe he grabs a chair, hits him with it, but it's clear at this point, because The Rock has kicked Vince out of the ring after The Rock bottom, and Foley kicks Shane out of the ring, Okay. And both of the competitors are paying attention to the McMahon that they just knocked out. They turn around, sprint toward each other in the center of the ring, and fully locks in the claw. And it's like, whoa. Uh, I didn't think The Rock was going to lose this. Colette is at ringside, screaming, Mick, as the blood continues to pour down Mick's face. Now, this is where we really need to make sure that our camera crew, our producers, everyone involved has a copy of the script. But I think if done properly, this pays off fantastically. Colette's screaming Mick. He makes eye contact with her. Now the camera is on her crying face. Mick is sort of, he's not confused by her tears. You know, maybe he sort of has this response like, why are you crying? I'm about to win. Like, don't, like, you're my wife. Like, this, this we're gonna, I'm gonna win the, I'm gonna beat the rock here. I'm gonna win the title tomorrow. And, and that's it. That's everything we've ever dreamed of. Like, that's it. And he touches his face and he pulls his hand back and it's covered in blood. And he kind of realizes, like, this is the cost. He lets go of the mandible claw. And at this point, hopefully, if the crowd is into it, they're sort of in a panicked, confused frenzy. What's going to happen? Dueling Rocky chance, dueling Foley chance. Because Foley's sort of, by beating McFoley, 
and bleeding for us won back some of the crowd. Or maybe we just don't know what to expect, but we know that The Rock and Mick Foley in front of us are in front of us and we love them. You know? What does he do? She screams again, Mick! And this time when he hears his own name from her mouth, his eyes get a little bit wider. And he kind of starts... You know, because the rocks had the mandible claw and applied to him. The rock is, is standing, but he's standing, you know, uh, what is it when you're knocked out on your feet? And Mick kind of grabs him, like, his cheeks, and he's kind of, like, slapping him. And it's like, Jesus, now he's just slapping him. But that's that's not what he's doing, though. He's trying, to, he's trying to get the rock to come to. He's trying to get the rock to his senses. And the rock does sort of come to his senses. And the rock could be great with this. The rock could instantly in a subtle movement or like widening his eyes could in like a quick step back and be like, whoa, my wits are about me now, you jabroni. Like I'm, I'm awake. Okay. But not in a way that's like violent, just in a way that's like, uh, I'm up. Okay. Rock doesn't do anything. Mick, without giving the rock any inclination as to what he's about to do, just steps towards him and wraps him in a gigantic hug. The hug that he didn't get at No Way Out. Hopefully at this point, the crowd is eating out of the palm of his hand. And The Rock does not reject the hug. I don't know that he clinches up and fully embraces him, but he's not going to stop this from happening. For some reason, it feels like the right thing. Mick takes the Rock's arms from, you know, like the hug position. Like, because Rock, even though he's he's got his wits about him, he's still kind of dazed. So Mick takes the Rock's arms, you know, from like around his neck or whatever, and kind of puts one arm, you know, behind Mick's own head. And then he starts adjusting his feet, you know, so they're kind of interlocked with the Rock's. And he does this kind of slow, but also not super slow. And it's clear to anyone that's a fan of professional wrestling that The Rock now involuntarily has Mick Foley in position for The Rock Bottom. Time sort of stands still. And we zoom in on Mick's face. And we make sure that we've got a nice microphone attached to this camera. And Foley says... To the rock with, he says, thank you. And then he kind of smiles and looks, takes one long look at the sweeping crowd and says, he sort of puts his head down, not in a way that he's like sad, but in a way that he knows that this is what's right. And it, it may not be what I want, but it's what has to happen. And he says, do it. And the rock in anguish. But knowing that it's ultimately what Mick wants gives him the rock bottom. One, two, three. The rock leaves, fully gets up slowly, looks at his wife, wipes the blood from his face, blows her a kiss. She seems somewhat relieved and okay with what's transpired. And Foley just kind of takes one last look and bows and leaves the ring. And that's the end of his career. I guess until he comes back for that Intercontinental Championship match, which 
in all seriousness, was a pretty darn good reason to come out of retirement. It's not exactly the Saudi Arabia tag team match between DX and the Brothers of Destruction in terms of besmirching your legacy. And yeah, maybe I threw that joke in there because I got a little into my own storytelling and I needed something to make me laugh. And maybe this is the most convoluted, uh, up-his-own-ass thing you've ever heard a podcaster talk about. It's what I came up with. I think it works. And I think we have four professionals who are able to tell a story like this and elevate the, the art form, if you will. Or we can stick with the McMahon in every corner. Whatever you guys want. <laughs> oh, jeez. I need a cigarette. I don't even smoke anymore. <laughs> now, in all fairness to the next contest, I did warn you guys that match number eight was going to be the death spot of all death spots. Hopefully now that makes sense. And I, I didn't say it to throw shade at the next match, but I mean, hey... Uh, who was after Hogan Brock? It was either the Women's Championship or the Tag Championship or something like that. I can't remember, but, I mean, this is equivalent to that level of death spot. I'm sorry. So, uh, the next match for the vacant WWE European Championship, Rikishi versus Taz. Let's take a look at the cons. I already mentioned the first one. This is the death spot of death spots. Uh, tournament finals, because this would have been a tournament final for the championship. Uh, they usually don't have a lot of heat built up around them. The selling point is kind of, well, it's the finals of the tournament. And I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just sort of a whatever thing. Um, it could come across also as not valuing these talents because we're putting them here in the death spot. But we're going to try to do something a little bit different to make it memorable. All right, so let's take a look at the pros. Both of these guys are definitely over. And it puts a direct spotlight on people who were previously buried in multi-person matches at the regular real WrestleMania 2000. So it's, if nothing else, a nice trade-off from that. And regardless of the way that they, you know, whatever value a, a person watching has on the European Championship, these guys are literally the type of characters that the mid-card championships were designed for. So you can't say you've got the wrong people here. All right, so let's, let's, let's sort of spell out how this finishes and get to the main event. So the results, I see this as a heavy-hitting match that does only last about four to five minutes. Um, it ends with the two combatants like sort of facing off in the ring and trading some stiff shots with one another. You know, maybe they transition, they start with forearms and then they start headbutting each other. And then it gets a little against the rules because those are all legal things you can do. And they just start beating the hell out of each other with closed fists. Uh, the ref can't stop them from using these closed fists against one another. He tries to step in and they sort of both hit him. And it's a DQ, which means the tournament has ended without a winner. And there is no European champion. It will have to be held in abeyance. Why do this? A couple of things. We talked about how this you know, having a new card can create creative opportunities moving forward for the company. I see this as that. Uh, I thought it, I, I got two points. Number one, I always thought it would be fun to see a tournament final or like a match for a vacant championship uh, end in situations like this where there isn't a winner. I know it's happened before like Judgment Day 98. I don't know that it's ever been done in a tournament though. Like, if you have a, you know, obviously Kane and Undertaker fought for the vacant WWF title and it just ended without a winner and there was no champion, 
okay? Uh, but that wasn't a tournament final where you go through all this, in quotation marks, work to have a tournament and then it ends without a winner. I thought that would be fun. Plus, I thought this could create a cool scenario where you have a series of matches where people, you know, where like the European Championship, like no one can seem to claim it. Maybe it's held in, in, you know, maybe it's vacant for a little bit longer. We get, you know, another match for it. Maybe between these two or two other competitors, it ends in some sort of, like, count-out situation. And it's like, well, you can't win the title on a count-out. Because that's something that's never been really addressed. Um, has there ever been a match for a vacant title where, like, I don't know, let's say it's, it's this match. And, like, Rikishi wins by count-out. And it's like, you won the tournament, but do you win the title? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's an official thing because I don't know that's ever been addressed. And I know you can say, well, how can it be official? It's a, it's a scripted program. But, I mean, come on. There are rules here that are in place. You know, you can't get counted out at seven, just to use that as an example. So, I don't know. It would be fun. Nobody can win the European title. Maybe we raise its profile and stability that way. All right. So, all that being said, it is time for the biggest in our business, as JR would like to call it. It's the main event of WrestleMania 16. Now, before we get started with the actual main event, though, I just want to give a shout-out to the North-South Connection Podcast Network. We're bringing content to you every single day of the week. We're unstoppable, I guess, is a way that you could say it. But the Cronoso Daily Project, make sure that you start every morning fresh with a review of a WWF and then eventually WWE matchup from the pay-per-view big event schedule. We are ever moving forward. We're past WrestleMania 2. It's in the rear view mirror. We're heading towards, I believe, the next... I mean, we're going through Saturday's main events. We got the big event coming up. Eventually, we will get to the, uh, you know, the, the, the big, the bigger, better, batter. And we all know what that is. Also... A special shout-out to Wrestling Above Replacement, whose uh, review of the 1999 all the way to WrestleMania 2000 pay-per-view schedule definitely got this time period in my head. Uh, so make sure to check them out every other Friday. And also, a uh, special shout-out to Jennifer Smith, uh, who in the GWWE project did a great show with uh, Ryan and Will that sort of got some stuff into my head as well. I want to thank them for that, and you can check out Jenny every Wednesday with a Jenny Position podcast, as well as uh, Rotating Tuesdays and TNA Never Dies. They're trading spots with the new gen on a mission, I believe, which is back and better than ever, hitting that 1993 sweet spot that we all know that Johnny C is obsessed with when it comes to Hulk Hogan and Brit Hurt, and that's all I'll say about that. All right, so it is the main event of WrestleMania 16. Forget WrestleMania 2000. 16 is the one that counts. And I know that I've started each one of these by telling you the match, giving you the cons, and then talking about the pros. Well, I'm going to switch it up for the big one, okay? It is... uh, We're going to start with the storyline, okay? We're going to start with how we get here, and then we'll talk about the pros and the cons. Because, you know, the shock is what's the main event, all right? So... It is the Raw after No Way Out. Triple H is excited to have his to be able to name his own mania opponent. This is Triple H and you know his conglomerate cutting a promo. Because um, there, you know, the No Way Out number one contenders match ended in a draw and a no contest in the McMahon Helmsley era. You know, that's what this is. He's gonna name his own mania opponent. And he's gonna announce who that is next week, you know, because Triple H is the heel. He's supposed to troll the audience. You know, that's fun. 
Uh, tonight, we need to get ready for WrestleMania, though, by making sure that we go to Mania in style. Now, I know that at the towards the tail end of the build to WrestleMania 2000 is when Stephanie, I think, beat Jacqueline to win the Women's Championship. We're just going to do that right now, the day after No Way Out. So whatever happened then happens now, <laughs> and Stephanie ends up with the Women's Championship belt and sort of a gag. The gag being that Stephanie is not a wrestler, and I think there was a bunch of bullshit in that match, and Triple H probably helped hit Jackie and all that. And, you know, he he basically won her the championship in this reality, if not in our own, and that's important. So, the next week arrives. Come, They cut out to cut the big promo. Triple H says, he's slain all of our heroes. Rock. Foley. Uh, the, and even, uh, you know, a big giant like the Big Show is out of the picture. Triple H took out Austin, or what? Or Austin's not here because you know we obviously he's out with the car crash. You know Triple H has defeated Test. He's defeated Vince himself. Everyone that he's gone up against, he's beaten them all, and they were some really big superstars. But there's something he's always heard in wrestling, and it's time to finally put it to the test. He's heard that to be the man. You've got to beat the man. And he needs to, you know, in order to prove that, he needs to beat the man, and it's someone that he's never faced. A very familiar drum-heavy theme song hits, and here comes the man, Gilberg. I mean, you have to think, this is what the supervillains do, right? Triple H books his own Mania opponent so he can clearly win, go over easy, get the huge payday, and walk out of Mania the champ. Gilbert does all his posing, he comes down, gets in the ring, you know, he walks right into a pedigree, and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon are just laughing, like, oh, this is gonna be so much fun. Uh, you know, grabs the mic, see ya, Mania, Gil, and then goes to take off. But then some very familiar nostalgic music hits. I mean, we've all heard the song before, but we don't really recognize it as a superstar's entrance theme. And wouldn't you know, it's not 93, it's time for WrestleMania, mania. It's Linda McMahon. Now, I know that Linda's not the best in terms of performance, but let's just assume she has a very strict script to read from, okay? And let's not let that version of reality ruin this fake storyline, Okay. There's nothing she can do about the big show in The Rock. They had their chance, you know, and the contracts have been executed, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and this is how we start the show week two, by the way, I should mention. So the the, the Foley Rock stuff hasn't happened yet. Um, and, you know, there's nothing she can do about Mick Foley or, or about Cactus Jack because his contracts, you know, he can't fight Triple H. So, you know, who is the number one contender? Who's your challenger? Well, the board had an emergency meeting and Linda was the only McMahon present. So therefore, she was the only McMahon with voting authority. And the the advertisements have already gone out. You know, we've promised that all championships are going to be on the line at WrestleMania. You know, the we, we, we've advertised this. And the Intercontinental Champion, who many would uh, believe that to be the number one contender, is already booked to defend his championship. But there is one superstar that can make claim to never losing the Intercontinental Championship. And the board, you know, put forward a motion, which Linda McMahon voted on and approved, 
and we now have the number one contender for WrestleMania. Don't treat me like a woman. Don't treat me like a man. Don't treat me like you know me. Treat me both just to, oh, don't treat me like a woman. I'm sorry, I had to sing it because it's such a catchy song to sing. But yes, yes, it is indeed China. And China comes out, hopefully, to thunderous applause and just sort of stands on the entranceway looking like a badass. Uh, maybe she's got some new gear or something. Because uh, she's been gone since the Rumble in this timeline, which is something I want to point out. I couldn't lead with it, though. So on 12-28, Stephanie declares Jericho and China the co-intercontinental champions. And then at the Rumble, in this reality, Chris Jericho pins Chris or Hardcore Holly to win the IC title in that triple threat. China takes off after the match, you know, visibly pissed off because she didn't lose the title but then she's been off tv since then so we can lead to this as a big surprise she hasn't been in people's minds okay and as triple h is like having a fit in the ring like what i like what is this he almost you know sees it as a joke but he's all you know i can't fight a, a woman and hey that's this year just just go with it he's like and i can't fight a woman and i'm not gonna fight her of all people you know what i mean um and Linda gets one more line in before we head to commercial because, you know, this is the opening segment. She says, and Hunter, since you basically won your wife's championship for her at WrestleMania, uh, you're going to have to defend it for her, too. Because at WrestleMania, it's winner take all. If China wins, she becomes the WWF champion and the WWF women's champion. And if Triple H wins, the McMahon-Helmsley, you know, family keeps their championships triple h retains his and stephanie retains hers so now we have fulfilled our rule commitment all championships are on the line and we fulfilled our no multi-person matches because this is not china versus triple h uh and stephanie for the titles it's hunters defending all of them and to put one more caveat into this since linda mcmahon made the vote this is her match, in quotation marks. Like, she's in charge. She's responsible for it. She's going to be at ringside, handcuffed to Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley to make sure it's a one-on-one encounter. So, a McMahon in every corner. We got there. We just got there a little bit differently. So, I think we fulfilled all of our rules at this point. We go to the next Monday Night Raw event leading to Mania. Triple H basically comes out, cuts a promo, says this isn't happening. You know, like it's, it's you know, it's it's farcical. And this is a great way to get heat on Hunter because one of his, he's got two points of view, basically. One that's spoken and one that's unspoken because I want to make it very clear. This is a fantastic opportunity to use storylines that exist outside of the realm of the script so and here's what i mean by that you know when when cody rhodes debuted at wrestlemania he was a brand new fresh character with you know if you're looking at it in terms of the story within the 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 wrestling group the, the the company itself it's like cody rhodes is not here and now he is here but the fans the people us we, there is a built-in story in our heads. It's the story of, oh my God, an AEW EVP left AEW, and now they're debuting in the WWE. It's He's the first person to go from AEW to WWE. It's like the first opposite shot in the war. There is a built-in storyline to this character that is not spoken on television. 
And we do that. That's our collective consciousness. And it's one of the coolest things about wrestling uh, that I can think of is that we are able to, you know, enhance things in our own mind by attaching items that are not an actual part of the show. So, you know, we all know that the China Triple H Stephanie real life thing is, you know, whatever. It's not a cool situation. All right. And that's not going to be part of the storyline in front of the cameras. But we all infer it in our heads. And that's the genius of it. You don't have to make it look like China's on some sort of like power trip for revenge. Like you broke my heart, Triple H. Like this, this isn't about that. Okay. This is about her being a legitimate number one contender. And it has a major emotional hook that they don't even have to use to promote. It's like the absolute best of both worlds, if you think about it. So Triple H saying this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to fight a woman. That's the way it's presented on TV. I'm not going to fight a woman because that makes Triple H look like a bigot asshole. And that's easy heat. And it makes it all the more satisfying when, you know, the baby face is triumphant at WrestleMania, etc., etc. After hearing a few minutes of this, uh, China comes out. Stephanie scatters. And she just walks in the ring, kind of stares at Triple H. And Triple H has kind of got the hands out like, what is this? What are you doing? Triple H, or Triple H, I'm sorry, China nails a kick. Not a low blow. None of this low blow shit. She just kicks him straight up in the gut. And she kicks him and it looks like it fucking hurts because she's China. All right? And she is, a, she's a force to be reckoned with. And then she just snaps the DDT on him that she would do. No pedigree. Just snaps a, ma- a you know, a real stiff DDT, you know, throws the belts on him, and walks away. You know, like that was easy. Silent, deadly, but also serious. Uh, the You know, the last to go home show, uh, it's a contract signing. You know, they come out there, they treat it like it's just a normal situation, and then, you know, when it's Hunter's turn to sign, he just kind of grabs the mic, and he's like, this is absolutely ridiculous. This has gone on long enough that this can't be the championship match at WrestleMania. I've sat here and I've listened to you all talk about this like it's actually happening. It's not going to happen. It happens over my dead body. And he gets fired up, you know, and Linda's like, well, it's happening. I mean, it's, it's happening. I mean, these, this, these contracts are a formality because we, you know, own your contract and we are able to determine based on the vote that passed that you are defending your championship. Like, yes, you might be the McMahon Helmsley era, but you're also the WWF champion. And the WWF champion, whether they like it or not, ultimately belongs to us. This is happening. You know, so he gets up and he throws those, you know, he's starting throwing stuff around. He pushes the table out of the way and, you know, tries to berate China verbally. And China's just like, whatever. And just, you know, starts to walk away. And Hunter's finally had enough of this. He's been disrespected by the board, by China herself. Uh, he's being forced to fight a girl in quotation marks. Okay. And you know, he, he's had it. He finally snaps and he goes to attack her. China immediately counters. She ducks. Uh, she, you know, gets a couple of quick shots in, grabs him for a spine buster and, and does spine bust him through that table. The triple H had pushed out of the way. And, you know, boom, not only did she just fucking give him a badass looking spine buster was through a table and and again she hasn't been touched she's been dominant this whole time and she's been silent too because again i don't want to i feel like the audience buys into the scorned romance like backstage drama if she doesn't say anything 
because when she gets on the mic and maybe starts saying things like, you know, Triple H, this is, uh, you know, uh, you've been a bad, you've been, you've been an awful champion and, you know, just typical babyface versus heel WrestleMania type build. I don't want that because the second she doesn't address, like the second she talks and doesn't address the scorn, okay, it ultimately kills that in our head because like, oh, that's not the storyline they're using. So she would have to acknowledge it. At this point, however, she does grab the mic. And the audience should hopefully, because of the silence and the buildup and the anticipation of are they or are they not going to do the backstage stuff in front of the camera, you know, she grabs the mic. She kind of looks at Triple H as a, as a pile in the middle of the ring, smash her table, and she says, the game? Well, no one's played this game more than me. And then she kind of gets down his face. And, I, you know, Hunter's got to be, like, wearing a shirt or something, like a whatever. And she grabs him by the shirt and lifts him by that. Like, lifts him completely just by grabbing his shirt and gets in his face, gets right down and says, you know, uh, no one's played the game more than me, and I always won. And then just kind of drops him, drops the mic, and that's it. And we go to Mania. So there's all sorts of stuff that you can you – conclude based on her one statement okay no you know she calls him the game in disgrace but she recognizes that he is the game no one's played the game more than me okay what does that mean does it mean that she played the game because they were romantically involved or no one's played the game more than me because i was at your side for two three years and every single trick everything you've ever done you know we did together like i i know you you do the knee, and then you try to get the ref's attention and go for a low blow. Like, I just, I just, I know the game, man. I've played it, and I always won. Because she, you can look at, I always won two ways. Number one, they have wrestled before, and she's been victorious against them. And I did rewatch that match to let me see if this could even be a possibility. And I thought it was a pretty fun nine-minute or so Monday Night Raw match. And uh, the crowd completely bought into it. So I recommend going back and looking at that if you don't believe it. But the last thing that I always I played the game and I always won can mean to the audience, she always won, man. All those times that we hooked up, you know, hey, like we all know who was in charge in the bedroom. Now, hey, look, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think it's funny, but it is kind of funny for the Triple H character to be in quotation marks emasculated like that, you know. So, so she's done it. She finally spoke and we don't have confirmation that the storyline is because of X or Y. It's all together, and all she said were three damn sentences. And that's it. We have our story, and we're there. So, the main event of WrestleMania 16 for the WWF Championship and Women's Championships, China versus the defending Triple H for Stephanie McMahon and himself, and Linda and Stephanie handcuffed at ringside. Now, I wanted to take more time to focus on the buildup, um, so let's do the pros and cons and then we'll get out of here, I guess. So the cons, this is, <laughs> I know it's like, gosh, <laughs> the cons and the pros usually come before. I was a little almost lost myself guys, but I, you know, now that we know the story, we do the pros and cons and I, we can really have this conversation you may have been having in your head this whole time. So it is an intergender match. Okay. Uh, that's a con. There's nothing wrong with that, but the comfort level varies for different audiences. Okay. I, I, I think that, you know, that's something that, you, you know, especially if you're doing like market research or trying to think about something rationally, like that's something you have to, you know, wonder, does your audience want to see something like this? Will it be a work rate classic? Probably not. Probably not at all. 
Will it uh, have the fans at the edge of their seats and, you know, hanging on your every move? I mean, Hulk Andre had a bunch of... It, look, this isn't Hulk Andre, okay? But there's there's barely... There's no work rate in quotation marks there, but you have, like... Uh, you know, I don't need to beat that in the ground. Does it hit too close to home for the performers? Another con. I don't know. This is unanswerable. Luckily, thank God, this is fiction. Um... And then another con, does this stick out like a sore thumb? It's just Vince Russo booking. And I don't think it does because if this was Russo booking, they would just, you know, have some sort of match out of nowhere and it would be nothing. Like the like Russo would book like Jacqueline versus Triple H for something like this because there's there's no point to it. There's no history, you know. But I don't think it's Russo booking because you're not doing it for shock value. You're doing it because there are multiple built-in storylines. Even if you just go from the in-federation stuff of her being the uncrowned, inter, you know, reigning intercontinental champion. She never lost it, per se. You know, she never got pinned for it. So I think you can talk your way out of that, and that's what I've done. Pros, this is 2000, not 2022, so the intergender thing may not even be an issue. Is that a pro for society? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not getting into it. Another pro, the right story masks the work rate gasps. And, you know, I agree with that completely. And then the other pro is basically the, <laughs> I did it out of order. I did my argument against the Russo booking. But, uh, you know, you can, you can work around that. And then the last pro, I mean, it feels right. Right? I mean, <laughs> the Mega Powers is a year-long storyline, and then they broke up in February, and then they fought at Mania. But, you know, we view the entire year as a story. This has so much story, years of history. And they even, in the last year, had that spat around SummerSlam where they actually, you know, fought one another to determine who could be the number one contender. So there is plenty of in-universe uh, rationalization for this. It's a baby face trying to take down the evil champion at WrestleMania, and they have a massive, long-standing story to finish because it never got finished, all right? And I understand why it didn't in real life, but this isn't that. This is this is for fun. So the bell rings. We have like a main event style match for about 10 minutes, okay? Nothing too crazy. Um, this is a, a kind of, I guess you call it a standard match aside from the, the handcuff shenanigans. So it's not like a, a hardcore match or anything like that. I don't want the main event to be that. Um, but, you know, we go t- 10 minutes-ish and it's, and it's stiff. It's good. Uh, you know, I see it finalizing like this. You know, China, and this is important. I feel like it has to end like this. So China has the advantage, you know. Maybe she's just come back and done her baby face hope spots. And, and Stephanie... Uh, pulls like a key out of her pocket and she unlocks the handcuffs but linda doesn't know yet and she pulls her arm out and she like i don't know pushes linda it doesn't take much to take linda out of the equation okay but the point is is that stephanie is supposed to be a non-factor and now she is a factor okay she gets up on the apron to distract china and boy distract china does she but here's the thing this is what makes it work in my opinion so the obvious easy thing to do is have China get her comeuppance on Stephanie. Because for whatever reason, I think a large portion of the audience would see, like, if you're, you know, maybe Stephanie is the villain in all this because she's the Jezebel who, like, stole... And I don't, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> it, it, you know, I'm not... I'm, and that's not the point. The point is, is that it's kind of like if China at least gets her vengeance on Stephanie, then she wins. It's, you know... And, and her getting vengeance on Stephanie takes the 
the ultimate victory of the championships away from her. And why am I bringing this up now? It's because Steph is distracting her and China's slowly inching towards Stephanie. I mean, this is, she wants it. I mean, as a character and as a person, baby, she wants her vengeance. But as she, you know, gets closer and closer, she doesn't go for it because she realizes this is a part of the game. And we do the exact same spot we did on Raw. Triple H goes after her, but she knows the game. She doesn't get distracted. Uh, you know, she doesn't fall for it. Gets a couple good hits in. Kick, wham, pedigree. One, two, three. Hopefully, the crowd erupts. Not only has Triple H, or, or excuse me, not only has China done it. She's done what, you know, ultimately, if she's a character that's on the same level of everyone else, she's accomplished what every character wants to accomplish. She's won the gold. And she's gotten her vengeance on Stephanie by showing dominance in every way, shape, or form. Mentally, physically, and now financially, in quotation marks, because she's the, the, the champ. She's a dual champion, for God's sakes. And uh, the McMahon-Helmsley regime is all out of sorts, and, you know... He's Triple H is furious. He doesn't have you know. He they 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 leave. Okay, they just leave. They leave before any of this post stuff starts. All right. Uh, and China's in the ring, but she doesn't have the gold yet. She turns around, and the ref has the belts. All right. And this is just a little thing to I think really put China over as the WWF champion. You know, he hands her the women's championship. She looks at it. She takes it. She hands him the. World Wrestling Federation Championship. She looks at it. Looks back at the women's. She hands him the women's title. And then the camera, again, the camera, got to know that we need to get a good shot on China here so we can kind of pick up what she says. She says, I surrender the WWF Women's Championship. Hands in the belt, kind of pushes the ref away, and then holds up the WF Championship, does the big pose in the center of the ring, because she's not going to be defined by anything anymore. She's not going to be defined and boxed into the one division over another in this company. She's the top dog now, and that's what matters. You know, if you could be the WWF champion and the light heavyweight championship, and they said to, they came to you and said, well, which you can only have one. That's the rule for some reason. Well, you give up the light heavyweight champion because you're only the champion of a certain uh, group of individuals within the company. China doesn't want to be that. It's more important than that. She is the champion now. And that's it. And that's the end of WrestleMania 16 as Johnny C would see it. Um, I hope it was a lot of fun for you guys. It was a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate you checking this out. Uh, I hope it was something that tickled the itch of, uh, of folks who were looking for some serious analysis. I really enjoyed providing that. It was a good stretch for me to try to do, and I hope it was worth everybody's time. If this is the type of content you want to hear, uh, if you have any ideas, if you want to just leave feedback or Make fun of the way I said a word, because <laughs> Lord knows I've done that to people before, but in loving fun. Hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C. Follow the North South Connection Podcast Network. Take a listen to everything we do. There's so much content that covers evergreen uh, time periods in wrestling. You're going to find something that scratches your itch. I almost guarantee it. Uh, with that, I will head back to our regular Earth so I can get some shut-eye, and I will see you the next time we jump into the multiverse of fabulousness.